Welcome, welcome, welcome to another fun episode of Doable Discipleship. My name is Jason Wheeland, and Brandon, you are? I'm also, I'm Brandon. <laughs> you, you, you stole my name from me. <laughs> I, I wanted me to see how you would do that. <laughs> um, this is Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your faith, or as Brandon will do in his William Shatner impersonation. I can't do a William Shatner impersonation. I feel like I'm letting all the listeners down in the beginning of these intros, but we are a show that helps you grow. <laughs> um, we've been in the middle of this series going through um, some foundational questions and answers. So we have a program at Saddleback called Foundations that goes through the foundational truths of the Christian faith and we have been running that program for um, our church and we have been doing some question and answer sessions with Pastor Tom Holiday out of those and so we thought hey we don't want this to just be for people that are taking foundations this is good stuff for anybody to hear because we all have questions around these topics and today we're talking about the topic of Jesus. Um, lots of great stuff out of this question and answer session. So really excited to make it available to you. Brandon? Yes. Are, are you excited for this? I'm excited. Cool. Uh, great. I, I'm glad to hear it. Um, hey, is everything well with you? It is. Yeah, everything is good. I'm humming good. along. I'm glad to hear it. I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew that we're doing well right now. And yes, without further ado, well. um, without more setup, let's jump into our Q&A. Uh, I think this is me and Linda Tokar and Pastor Tom. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, we are going to start with some questions on Jesus. We did have a couple of new people join, so there are some other questions that came in on Bible and God. We'll hit those at the end, but we're going to start with the topic of the night, which is Jesus. So, you ready, Pastor Tom? Yes, it's good to All be right. back together again and with some of you for the first time. Really good. <laughs> All right, so let's start with this. If we say that Jesus is God, why did Jesus? Why is Jesus called the Son of God? Bible. Uh... The idea of the inheritance is extremely important. Uh, we don't get it as much today because it's not as important to us, but whoever was the son uh, was the one who got the inheritance. That's why actually the Bible calls all of us, men and women both, we're all called sons of God. It's sort of a weird thing. You go, well, wait, is this like a, you know, uh, a gender thing? Is God being like uh, discriminatory? No, it's so strong in Bible times that the eldest son is the one who got all the inheritance. Everything went to them. So when the Bible says Jesus is God's son, it's not talking about uh, he's born of God. It's talking about, as we know, he's going to get all the inheritance in the end. Now, that's important to us because the Bible says he's going to share all that inheritance with us. Romans 8, other places, really strongly says, and it's uh, Ephesians 1, it's just, it's just almost beyond my comprehension that you and I are co-inheritors with Jesus of all that God has in eternity. But that's what it means to know Christ. 
And um, it doesn't make us like God in eternity. It doesn't make us more powerful than God in any way in eternity. It doesn't give us any powers that we that we uh, would have as human beings over God. It does, though, give us all the riches of all that Jesus did on this earth and all, all of who Jesus is and all of eternity. I, I just, I, I can't even fathom what that's going to mean. To me, being in heaven and just being able to see Jesus, just being able to hug Jesus, just being in a line of a million people, we got all eternity, so being in a line and finally getting to the front of the line and taking as long as I want to talk with him, that would be more, more than enough. But this idea throughout the Bible that Jesus is the one who inherits all that is in God's blessings for all of eternity, and so you and I equally inherited. We are co-inheritors. That is just, that's unbelievable, but that's what, that's the truth. We, that's what it means to be adopted into Jesus's family. That's what it means to know Jesus. And like I said, I think most of you are like me. You think, I don't need that. It'd be enough just to know him. Well, God says, whether you need it or not, that's what I've done for you in Christ. And he doesn't do it for us selfishly. It's not like in all of eternity, I'm going to feel selfish about what I've gotten from God. He does it so we can praise God in greater ways. Uh, All of us uh, uh, as co-inheritors with Jesus are going to take all that that means and praise him forever with all of that. So if you want to read a chapter of the Bible about it, I think Ephesians 1 is a really good chapter to read, which talks about all the blessings that we have, not only in Christ now, but also that we're going to have in all of eternity. So that's the idea of being a son of God uh, in the in the New Testament. Awesome. This one seems to do with the nature of of Jesus coming to earth. It says, is it correct to view Jesus coming to earth as God evolving? Like, did he change shape or form? Did he right. become something No, that's different? a good question. Because in our, from our perspective, it looks like God changed somehow because he was in heaven and now he's on earth. But the Bible says that God's unchanging. He doesn't evolve. He doesn't need to evolve because he's always been perfect. If you're always perfect, you have no need to get better. If you always make the right decision, you have no need to change in making the decision. Uh, So from our perspective, it seems as if God changed when he came to earth in Jesus Christ. But from his perspective, he always knew that he was going to do that. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a moment when he didn't know he was going to do that. He's eternal, but he's also all-knowing. So God doesn't experience time as like, okay, now I know a little more. Oh, now I see what I'm going to do. Oh, this is what it's like to be on earth. He always knew who he was and what he was going to be. And so that's why the Bible says that Jesus is, in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. He's always the same. But to us, the same means boring, right? Like, if I said your life is going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever, the life you have right now, you go, really? Especially in COVID-19, you go, really? I mean, it does feel the same a lot, doesn't it? A lot of you, you're stuck at home. Uh, It's just like, okay, here I am on another Zoom call. That's sort of the same. And to us, the same feels boring. The same feels like less almost. We want change. But... God is always dynamic. So for him to be the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever, there is change within that. There is the excitement of who he is. Not the change of God evolving, but the change of God creating. 
and the change of God producing things in us and through us. So, uh, no, he doesn't doesn't evolve because he's always the same. He's always perfect. That's awesome. Thank you. By the way, just if anybody has questions as we go along, we are monitoring the chat. So feel free to put them there and I will get to them as I'm able. No, I love questions on the chat. And, you know, I don't want to scare you. Linda might call on you and actually ask, have you asked the question. But it's good to hear your voices, too. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) You've been warned. (laughs) Okay. This one has to do with the angel of the Lord. And it says on page 100, it mentioned the angel of the Lord. Does it mean that in Genesis 16 and Exodus 3, it was Jesus who appeared to Hagar and Moses? How about Genesis 32 when Jacob wrestled with God? Was it also Jesus? Okay, this is a good one, you guys. So let's take some time to dig into this. Um, You know, you're in foundations. That means you get to talk about some deeper things sometimes that we don't talk about in most Bible studies. And the angel of the Lord is one of those things. And I think if I if I had to think about it, I think I think there's two questions people have about this phrase, the angel of the Lord, that are important questions to answer. Uh, first, the first question is, was there were there appearances of God to people on earth uh, before Jesus came? So did God spiritually appear somehow to people? Well, if you read the Old Testament, it's pretty obvious that he spiritually appeared. You have Isaiah in the temple. I saw the Lord on his throne. So he has this vision of God. Now you could say it was a vision of God in heaven, but he still, he saw the Lord while he was on earth. Or Moses wanting to see God. You might remember that story of Moses and God says, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. So you'll just sort of barely see my presence because you really saw my presence. It would destroy you because of the greatness of who I am. So throughout the Old Testament, you have these appearances where people are sensing God's presence, but also seeing God's presence. Part of that is the angel of the Lord. Because there are times when Abraham or or Hagar or Joshua, they meet with this person called the angel of the Lord. And as you take a look at the conversations that people have with the angel of the Lord, you see there's something more here than like the head angel. Because that's the first thing you'd think. Like, okay, the angel of the Lord, that's that's like, uh, you know, maybe Gabriel later. We, we learn his name, and he's like the head angel. And he gets to do all this stuff in the Old Testament, and then he gets to come and appear to Mary. Maybe it's Gabriel. Maybe it's... Uh, Who knows who it is, but maybe that's who it is. But then you start to read what this angel of the Lord says to people. And especially with Hagar, when the angel of the Lord is talking to Hagar, he's making statements about how he is going to affect the future. His sovereignty is going to affect the future and the descendants of Hagar. And so you see creative power in the angel of the Lord, from what the angel of the Lord is saying, not what Hagar is assuming, but from what the angel of the Lord is saying. Well, angels don't create. Only God creates. You can't give too much power to an angel. And so as you start to read, and I won't go into all the statements, but if you if you want to do a deeper study, you can go study a Bible encyclopedia, and you'll see all the times the angel of the Lord says things. As you start to see what the angel of the Lord talks about, you have this idea of, of, of creative power. Uh, the angel of the Lord also is, is the one who has judgment. Abraham talks about the angel of the Lord as the one who will judge all mankind. Well, that's God. That's not an angel. The angels don't 
judge. Uh, God's the one ultimately who is who is the judge. And so there's this deep sense that the angel of the Lord is a spiritual appearance. God appearing in a spiritual form that people can understand and take in. Looks like a person, looks like a man, most likely from what we read. And this spiritual appearance enables people to connect with God. So that is called, if you want a big Bible word for it, it's called, a th- or a big theolo- theological word for it, not Bible word, this word isn't in the Bible. It's called a theophany. That means theo, God, uh, and uh, theophany, appearance. So it's, a, it's an appearance of God. Now, so that's question one. Does God appear? And the answer is really obvious that, yes, God appears. The second question is, so is this Jesus? I mean, you got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is it like the whole Trinity appearing all at once, or is it the Holy Spirit, or is it the Father? Who is it? And the answer to this one isn't as clear as the answer to the first question. This is where we're doing a little bit of reading between the lines. And if it was we get to heaven, it was the Father who was appearing as the angel of the Lord, I'm fine with that. If it was the Holy Spirit who was appearing as the angel of the Lord, I'm fine with that. Whoever it was, I'm fine with it. But uh, as you study uh, the appearances, it's most likely that it was Jesus appearing in spiritual form, not in physical form. He didn't become a man before he was born in Bethlehem. He's appearing in spiritual form to people. Why? Because that's the, when you look at how the Godhead works, they tend to take certain roles and that's what they do. You know, the Holy Spirit convicts the world. He's the one who convicts our hearts. And Jesus is the one who appears to people. And so uh, that's the number one reason people feel like this is not just a theophany, but what they call a Christophany, a Christophany, Jesus appearing uh, before he was born. And that's sort of, we know he was, it wasn't like Jesus began when he was born in Bethlehem. So what was he doing in all that time before he came to Bethlehem? Well, this is a possibility in human history of one of the things that he was doing, that he was the one who appeared as the, uh, as the angel of the Lord. And so certainly an appearance of God probably an appearance of Jesus. Um, The cool thing about that to me is just thinking through how Jesus worked in human hearts and lives before he was born in Bethlehem. It's not something we think about a lot, but all of the passions that Jesus had and exhibited while he was on this earth, he had for eternity. So the love that he had for people, the compassion that you saw that he had, the bring the little children to me, all the things that he expressed the passion that he had to go to the cross and give himself for us, all of those were present in Jesus for all eternity. He didn't come up with those emotions just like we do as human beings, just as they came along. He always intended to do all those things. And so he always had those passions and those concerns and that compassion that we see is a part of his life and the power that we see that's a part of his life when he walked on this earth. That's a long answer about the angel of the Lord. I don't know. Is there a follow-up on that one? Because that one's like, okay, wait, you confused me. That didn't help. So I'm glad to, if if there's more on that one, I'm glad to answer it. (laughs) Well, that was all I had there. Um... (laughs) If anybody wants to write something in the chat, like, wait, what did you mean by this? I'm I'm glad to. (laughs) Okay. Well, if somebody wants to do that, we will catch up with that. Um, can I keep going with some of the others? I've got Ricardo. No, no, you can't. I'm going to okay, pause right here because that was a hard question. I need a break. That was the angel of the Lord, you guys. <laughs> and uh, I wanted this time to not just uh, let you ask me questions. I wanted to ask you at least one question because 
I don't know if you've seen in uh, some of you that have the book, there are, there are discussion questions uh, that you're not using a lot of you because you're not in a group. Some of you are, are working it out with other people one-on-one. And I think that's not a bad idea. If you want to connect with somebody that's going through this study, that's a good thing to do. But I thought it might be, I thought I, we'd see how this works. Somebody said earlier, call it an experiment. So this is an experiment. This may crash and burn and not work at all, but I want to try asking you a question. One of the questions is from the discussion questions on, on, on Jesus. And honestly, I'm asking you this question because I have found, I, you know, I've been teaching foundations for 20 years. I, I would say this question I'm going to ask you, watching what happens in the groups, this is the favorite question, I would say, because why? Because it brings the most emotion, most excitement that I've seen. I just see, I've just seen things happen with this question, simple question over 20 years. So it makes me say, hey, I want you guys to experience it too. So here's the question. And you can write it in the chat or you can raise your hand if you want to say something. But the question is, when you get to heaven and you come face to face with the eternally existent Jesus, first part, first question is this, what do you want? What do you want to say to him? What is it? What do you think? I, I know there's a song I can only imagine. And uh, will I sing hallelujahs? Will I, I be, will I be able to speak at all? I understand you feel like I may not even be able to speak. But if you could speak, if you could get some words out, what would you want to say to Jesus? You can type it in. We'll read it. Linda or I will read it. Or you can, uh, you can raise your hand and chill. Anyone? See, you guys, it's not easy answering questions, is it? <laughs> I would say thank you. No other words seem enough. I love that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. We just keep seeing, and you all typed it in at the same time. You didn't see what the other ones were saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> So there's lots of thank yous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, I'm not done. This is a three-part question. So second part is, what question would you want to ask him? What question would you want to ask him? Mm. Why are there some things left unanswered? Yeah. Why do some prayers not get answered? That is one of my biggest questions. And I don't know the answer yet from the Bible. Mm. Mm. So first, someone said something about um, what would you want to say to him? What a blessing finally to move from earth and to be with my daughter in heaven. I didn't want to skip that one, you guys. But then on the other side of it, what question would you want to ask him? Why did my niece die of leukemia? Why do people die? Good people who could live good lives. And why didn't he destroy Satan right away? We are going to talk about that a lot when we get to good and evil, an awful lot. What question? Anybody else have a question? Mm. Why do some people's hearts not change? Mm -hmm. God made our hearts. Why do some people's hearts not change? Why didn't you heal my daughter on earth? If you had to do it over again, would you create the world again? Knowing how we uh, treated you and knowing and continue to treat each other. Wow. So these are all questions we're going to ask him because honestly, we don't have the whole answer to any of these. 
I mean, we have the beginnings of an answer to some. Uh, the one, if you had to do it over again, would you? Because he knew in advance what we would do. Yes, I think the answer would be yes, because he already knew what we would do, and he created us. He already knew Adam and Eve would rebel in the Garden of Eden. He already knew, uh, coming all the way today, he already knew the racial injustice that would be in the world today. He already knew the hatred that people would share with each other. He already knew the pain that we would bring on each other's lives. And knowing all that, he still created us. Because he also already knew all that would come to him. He already he knew all the praise that would go to him for all of eternity. He already knew, he already knew it all. Somebody asked, why doesn't he save everyone? Which is, oh man, is that an important question? Um, you know, the Bible says that God desires, in Timothy, that God desires all should be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So he wants us all to be saved, uh, but he also gives us a choice. We're going to talk about that when we when we look at salvation. Uh, that because he because he's given us the capacity to love, love requires the ability to choose. If I force you to love me, you're you're not really loving me. I've forced you to do something, but if you choose to love me then that's true love. And God wanted a true relationship with us. He didn't want us to be robots. Again, both in salvation and in in good and evil, we're going to talk a lot about that. I'm not advertising all the next ones, but some of these uh, questions, they're they're two-hour-long questions, really, to answer them. A lot of them are about evil in this world. Uh, Why so much pain and suffering in order to live in this world? Uh, Just as we look at the evil that's in this world... Uh, I can understand, without a shadow of a doubt, how God is going to deal with evil one day, that he will forgive all who turn to him, and he will bring justice on all who do not turn to him, and that one day everything will be just, everything will be made right. I can understand that. What I can't understand is all the reasons that God allowed it in the first place. Why couldn't God create a world where there would be no evil, and yet there'd still be choice, there'd still be love? I don't, I don't know. I'd be a fool, really, to say I could explain that. You'd have to be God to explain that. So that's why we're going to ask him that question when we get to heaven. In the midst of all these questions about good and evil, I appreciate somebody asking, why is chocolate so delicious? We need that one right now in the middle of everything. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's not my question. Why is it so delicious and it puts pounds on you. I mean, if it's going to be so delicious, it shouldn't put any pounds on you, right? It should be like a diet food. All diet foods should be delicious, and all foods that put pounds on you should taste terrible, but it just doesn't work that way for some reason. It's <laughs> And then I'm not going to – we're going to keep these because we'll come back to them. Uh, somebody asked about eating in heaven. Isn't there a feast in heaven? Yes, there is. The great wedding supper of the Lamb. You know, Jesus is called the Lamb. So there's this great celebration for all eternity uh, that we're going to celebrate with. How are Adam and Eve going? Uh, what are they up to now? It reminds me of that, that old joke. The only way, how do you know Adam and Eve in heaven? They're the only people without belly buttons because they were created by God. You know, that's, that's a, like a preschool joke, but we need some of those sometimes. Uh, so they're going to be doing the same thing that we are. They're going to be praising God for all of eternity. Um, remember, we talked about this. Somebody asked, I think, a couple times ago 
about the people in the Old Testament. But I just want to re- re- remind you again that those in the Old Testament who trusted in God were saved by the blood of Christ, just like you and I are saved by the blood of Christ. That Jesus, the cross, it stands in the middle of history, and the blood flows both ways. Now, before, in the Old Testament, they trusted God by doing what he told them to do in the law, by obeying him. And part of that obedience was making sacrifices that they didn't know this. They just had a barely a, a, a sense of this, that those sacrifices, that the blood in those sacrifices looked forward to something. They knew it was about God's promise, though. They absolutely knew that the blood represented God's promise. Every time they took the Passover, they reminded themselves that in the blood, there was the promise. The Passover, the blood that was was put over the doorpost, it was the promise that God would save the oldest in that household. And every, they were to take the Passover every year and remind themselves of the promises. The Passover, you might remember, is built around four promises, four covenants that God made. And so promise and blood were always tied together for them. And when Jesus came, then we understood what the promise was. So they were trusting in the promise before it happened. We are trusting in the promise after it happened. We get to know about the cross. We get to know what happened. And so our trust, I think, is easier than their trust. I, I really do. But they are saved by the blood of Christ, just like we're saved by the blood of Christ. It's not like in the Old Testament, they were saved by the law, and the New Testament, we're saved by the blood. It's always the promise of the blood of Christ that saves us. So you guys got great questions. Uh, what happens to people who've never heard of Jesus? I think it's the same as people in the Old Testament, since we just, since we just talked about that, because they never heard of Jesus, and yet they were saved by the blood of Christ, because they kept to what God had told them to do. And only God is going to be able to judge that. I know the crazy questions goes, what, what about some person on an island, and they never see anybody? They're a hermit on this island all of their lives. They never read a book. How could they be saved? I, I'm going to let God figure that one out. But I know that if they I do know God desires all to be saved. So I know God desires for that person on that island to be saved. And I know that we're all saved by the blood of Christ. That's the only way to be saved. So I know somehow God has made a way that I don't know. I'll ask him when I get to heaven, if I want to, uh, that God has made a way for that person to be saved by the blood of Christ. I, I don't know what that would be. But the reason people ask that question is that it's a gotcha question. Like, hey, there's got to be other ways in the blood of Christ. And there aren't any other ways, because we've got a sin problem that can be only solved by the blood of Christ. It can't be solved by the law. It can't be solved by our goodness. It can't be solved in any other way. These are good questions, you guys. Okay, I said it was a three-part question, so I got one more. But a lot of these, we're gonna, you're going to see answered, and we'll keep... Make sure you save this one, Linda, because we'll come back to some of these in, uh, in, in our next call together. So save it. this chat. Uh, but the third one is, going back to this, you see Jesus, you're seeing him, and you said thank you. What emotions do you think you'll experience when you see Jesus in heaven? What are the emotions that you think? Love and joy, overwhelming joy and gratitude, speechless emotions, joyful emotions, overwhelmed. You guys could preach a sermon on this. This is awesome. Joy, shock, relief, relief, peace, genuine peace, tears. 
pain, I might feel pain or sadness. I understand that. I've thought about that as well because of people that aren't there or what's going on earth, on, on the earth. And I hang on to the promise in Revelation, which says, when we get to heaven, there's no more tears. There's no more crying. There's no more pain or any such thing. That's God's promise. Now, I, how's that going to work? Because I'm in heaven, and I, I, I might know that, that some people aren't there. And so isn't there going to be pain about that? God's promise is somehow there's going to be no more pain or tears when we get to heaven. So I don't know how he's going to solve that in our hearts, but he is going to solve that in our hearts when we get there. Uh, euphoria, uh, the reliability and faithfulness of God. I'll just be in awe. And Patty says, I'll be doing my happy dance. <laughs> That's a pretty good one to end on, I think. So that was my question. <laughs> Thank you guys for letting me ask a question. <laughs> All right. Shall we jump back in? Okay. Ricardo had a question. Um, Ricardo, do you want to ask it if we unmute you? We good? Sure. You're unmuted. Go right ahead. Um, did Jesus from, I noticed that in the Bible, they show him as a child, but then he, there's no much history in the Bible. And then all of a sudden he appears again as an adult. Did he right away when he was born, he knew he was God or was it an evolution that because did he get amnesia and then he had to like <laughs> connect the dots to remember, Oh, I'm God. <laughs> that's my question. Did no, this already... is a, that's a very in-depth, wonderful question. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we talked about it a little bit in one of the studies on Jesus. So it's a reminder for some of you, but we just talked about it so briefly. Uh, and we didn't talk about it in answering that question you're asking Ricardo. So when Jesus was born, he was born as a baby. It wasn't like he was a superhuman baby who, who could have talked if he wanted to, but he didn't. You know, he held back so he wouldn't scare people because if he came out preaching the Old Testament, that would have been really scary to all the doctors that day. So he had to learn to talk. He had to learn to walk, just like we have to learn. So as a, as a baby, he, uh, his intellect, his brain wouldn't have been able to know that he was God. So the question is, at what age did he know for sure that he was God? And we don't know. We're not for sure. But we do, we do know that uh, by the age of 12, because there is a story when Jesus was 12 and he went to the temple with his parents. And you might remember that his parents um, left him in the temple. They, went, they each thought that Jesus was with them and they were in different parts of the caravan. And they left him in the temple and left the city. And then they realized, oh, Jesus isn't here, and they went back to get him. This is the story for all parents who've ever left a child in a, in a mall or at church. I'm not saying we never left our children at church, because at least our daughter, Alyssa, I'm very grateful for our preschool leader who a couple times brought Alyssa home for us, because Shondell thought she had Alyssa, and I thought I had Alyssa. So I have great compassion for Mary and Joseph in, in doing this. I want you guys to know. And so uh, they go back, and Jesus is in the temple, And he says, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house doing my father's business? Mm -hmm. Well, a couple things. First, people didn't call God their father then. So Jesus had a totally different view of God than anybody around him. And when he talked about doing his father's business, when you turn 12 in the Jewish culture, you started doing your father's work. If Joseph was a carpenter, Jesus should have been a carpenter. But no, he's in the temple because Jesus is a priest. Jesus is 
the son of God. And he, and he has a sense of it, by, at least by the age of 12. I think that's why that story is there actually mm -hmm. for us, mm -hmm. to help us to know that. I think that's one of the reasons that story is there. So that's a good question. Really good one. Can um, I have a follow-up on that since you, he yes. acknowledged the father and he acknowledged he's the son. Um, since God in Genesis always says that he made us in our image and he need not only make males, he made a woman, would it, would it be far-fetched to think, well, where's the mother aspect of God? Would um, it's, it's, so for me, there's got to be like mother, father, then the son. And I know that it gets a little tricky because I know some of the paganism religion or uh, they, they also worship some goddess or stuff like that. So it's a very tricky question or sensitive no, it question. Is. But, it um, is. I feel but I that a, I think there's a that, really clear answer. Okay, that's because I've always felt, you know, the feminine energy, the masculine energy, we all, all both genders have it. And I go, where's that part? Why is the Bible never, or according to one, I uh, came across, actually, they came to my door. There's actually a, a, uh, a, a church that actually does acknowledge, that, according to them, by biblical uh, uh, verses, that there is silently, kind of like under the radar, something about the mother and that's something that i've always wrestled with and i would love to be able to find out more about it if there is such a thing as that so i think a good way to think about it is think in two terms think father and mother and then also think male and female two different things so first father and mother god's never god is compared to a mother a couple of times in the book of psalms like a mother He's also compared to a bird. So you can't say God's a mother because he's compared to a mother any more than you can say God's a bird because he's compared to a bird in the book of Psalms. So he's compared to a mother, but he's never called mother. God is always presented as a father. He's always presented in a male sense of, of being our father. And uh, throughout the Old Testament, he's presented that way, even though he's not called our father. Uh, all the names of God are in male terms, uh, father kinds of terms. So he's never called mother. However, what you're asking is extremely important because in Genesis, when God creates us, and I think we talked about this one a couple of weeks ago too, but just to re reaffirm this one, it says, he created us in his image, them in his image, male and female, he created them. And the strong, strong teaching there is that it takes both men and women to reflect the image of who God is. A man by himself or males by themselves cannot reflect the image of God. Females by themselves cannot reflect the image of God. It takes both male and female because it says he created them in his image, male and female, he created them. Now, down through history, what's been done is people have taken the female out of that sometimes and said, oh, men reflect the image of God, but, you know, women, you know, they like reflect the image of their husband or they're supposed to be subject to their husband. They're totally missing the point. And I know it's because what you, of what you said, Ricardo, it could be easily confused. It could be easily like, well, God's our mother as much as our father. No, nope, the Bible doesn't say that. He's clearly our father, but it just as clearly says that it takes both of us as men and women to reflect all that's in the image of God. Well, if that's true, that means that God has male attributes and female attributes and who he is. Well, of course he does. He has every attribute. 
He's God. So everything that you see perfect in any human being, whether male or female, God's going to have all of those attributes because he is above gender, even though he's recognized as a father to us. And there's some reasons for that. We talked about one of them earlier, the father and the son and passing down the inheritance. So there's some reasons for that biblically. The truth of the matter is the idea that only male attributes are in God is totally outside of what the New, Test New and Old Testament teaches us about who God is. So I think that gets to the answer of, uh, that's a good question. Two good questions. Thank you. <laughs> oh, we've got more. <laughs> yes, good. <laughs> um, this is a timing question. How can Jesus spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth when he was crucified on Friday afternoon evening and resurrected by Sunday morning? Oh, this is a great one. And the, uh, the easiest answer is uh, that uh, when Jews counted days in, in that day, uh, remember the day began at six o'clock in the night. So you'd, you'd have, when, when the sun was up, for us, we'd, it would be two different days. And so if, if Jesus dies in, when the sun's up, and then you sun goes down, you got a second day, and then the sun comes up again, you got a third day. That's how you get the three days. So you'd say, well, wait, there's only two and a half days there. I don't see how that works. In the Jewish mindset, no problem. Zero problem about it. So that's how that works. Now, just, just to let you know, uh, there are some people, I mean, even uh, famous preachers like Chuck Swindoll, a lot of you have read Chuck, Chuck Swindoll's books, who, who think, mm, no, maybe Jesus was... Uh, no, I don't know how this thing worked, but maybe it was a day later somehow. I mean, a day earlier. We know he was resurrected on a Sunday, obviously, on the first day of the week. The Bible's really clear on that. But maybe it was a day earlier that all this started, some people think. And they do it by studying John, especially, and comparing it to Matthew. Uh, I happen to believe, as I've studied the Bible and taken a good hard look at the days, that the traditional idea that Jesus died on a Friday, not on Thursday, which is what Chuck Swindoll and some others think maybe might have happened. Uh, I think that that's probably most likely. But the truth is, whether it was a Thursday or a Friday or a Wednesday or a Monday or a Saturday, he died for me on the cross. That's, that's the key. And sometimes people get caught up in the what day was it uh, and miss the, the fact that it happened. Uh, I don't think that's why who's ever asking this question is asking it. I think you're asking because you want to know how do you, how do you figure out the days. And the easiest answer is that it's the way Jews counted days. <laughs> Great. Um, Jacqueline Chung, you had a question about explaining the Jesus. Do you, the one you posted a little bit ago. <laughs> Uh, Brandon, can you unmute Jacqueline Chung for me, pretty please? Thank you. Jacqueline, ask that question you posted a little bit ago. It's such a good one. Okay. Um, it's, it's, um, it's not an easy thing to answer, I think, but it kind of is because Einstein says, I think it's Einstein who says, if you can't explain something clearly, then you probably don't know enough about it. Um, so I guess I just don't know enough about Jesus. <laughs> um, I always run into people who um, who see Jesus more as a man who is a good teacher or a man who's good for some people but not necessary to their own life or just like a good guy who could be God if there is one but 
is good enough for some people, but kind of like broccoli. You can have it in the house, but I'm, I'm not going to eat it. You can have it, you know, don't force it on me. Um, and I have trouble explaining the significance, the simplicity and complexity combined of Jesus as being not just man and God, but just who he is, explaining in a nice, clear way, unlike I'm doing now, of who is this man and and why is he so important and he is the only way. Uh, it's like, how do you just get that through? You know? I think, well, I think there's a couple, I mean, there's a couple parts of your question. Um, one is people who wants to, want to say Jesus is just a good teacher. And we talked a little bit about that in Jesus, but I'll say a little bit about it now too. I, I, uh, many, many, many of us have benefited from what C.S. Lewis wrote about that many years ago now, uh, that Jesus, the one thing you can't say about him is that he's a good teacher. You can say he's a liar, that it was, because he called himself God. He called himself God to the teachers in that day. So you can't say somebody's a good teacher if they if you don't think they're God and they call themselves God. So he you can't say he's a good teacher. You either have to say he's a liar, he's a lord, or he's a lunatic. You know those three phrases. <clears throat> and um, you know C.S. Lewis has this in that phrase he talks about. This is very English. You know he says he, a lunatic. He's he's like you know on par with somebody who goes around with an egg yolk basically on his head, a fried egg on their head. Like that's the way you worship God. That's how crazy Jesus would be. Uh, if he wasn't truly God. So the idea that he's just a good teacher, I think it's good to help people get past that. Say, yeah, he taught a lot of good things, but what? here's what I would talk about. What about the cross? And what about the resurrection? Because mm -hmm. that's where the power is. The power is not in my argument. The power is in the cross, and the power is in the resurrection. And I've got to either choose to believe that happened or believe it didn't happen. If I believe it happened, it's going to lead me in a certain direction. If I reject that that happened, it's because I want to stay going in the direction that I'm going. I want to keep doing what I'm doing. Because the, the evidence for the resurrection is just overwhelming. And the spiritual evidence, the Holy Spirit's talking to us telling us, convicting us of the truth of who Jesus is. So the spiritual evidence of the resurrection is overwhelming. That's why you came to Christ, all of you, because of the Holy Spirit speaking this truth in your heart and your life, and you just knew it was true, even before you read all these things in the Scripture about it. Even before you read apologetics books that proved that it was true, you somehow knew it was true. And that's because the Holy Spirit was speaking into your heart about it. And so I think... Uh, talking about the stories of Jesus, did he do this miracle? Could he really have fed 5,000? I, I don't think that that's uh, uh, oftentimes helpful to people, because if you don't believe he's God, then you, you can find ways to argue against any miracle that he did. Well, this is really what happened. The 5,000, they didn't really get fed. Really what happened was uh, people were being selfish, and they all brought out their food, and they shared it with each other. Like that old story, Stone Soup. It was just a stone soup story. You know, that's what happened. Uh, but we know that he fed 5,000 because we know that he's God. Why? Because of the truth of the cross and the truth of the resurrection. So I think getting to talking about the cross and the resurrection is very important. And the way to talk about it is also important. Uh, I think instead of, especially at the beginning, saying, let me prove to you that 
the cross is historical. Let me prove to you by scientific and, and forensic evidence that the resurrection is historical. The proof really is in your testimony. The proof is in you talking about, I, I hear what you're saying, but I want to tell you that the, the power that's in the cross and the power that's in the resurrection, it has meant something in my life that I can't, I can't explain. I mean, changes have happened in my life. I'm not perfect yet. I'm far from perfect. But I, I've got a freedom from guilt that I never had before. And I, I might struggle with shame sometimes, but I found an answer for those struggles. And some of the fears that I used to have, I don't have those fears anymore. And I, I can't uh, attribute it to good counseling or, or to great parenting or, or to being in a great job. Something dramatically changed in my life when I came to know Jesus Christ. What I say to people when I talk about it is I became a Christian at uh, 17. Uh, so I can remember when I became a Christian. Some of you became believers maybe at five or six, or so you can't remember all the details, but it's still a great blessing that God brought you to him early. That's a great blessing you should always thank him for. Uh, but I can remember an immediate sense of purpose, of significance that I had that I didn't have before. And I didn't even know I was a Christian. I just prayed a prayer because somebody said, pray it. Uh, nobody told me the Holy Spirit's going to come into your life. You're going to become a Christian. You're going to get saved. Your sins are going to be forgiven. Uh, I, I thought that I was sort of okay before, but I had a different kind of trust than I'd had before. So I didn't even wouldn't have said, hey, I'm a Christian now. I just changed. It took me a couple of months and some other believers coming around to help me understand that. But I knew immediately my life was flooded with a sense of significance and purpose that I'd never had before. Where did that come from? It came from the power of the resurrection. You know, the Bible says if anyone was in Christ, he is a new creation. God was doing something new in my life. So the power of your testimony about the cross and the resurrection is the most powerful way to help somebody to understand the truth of who Jesus is in, in your life. That was Thank awesome. You. That was awesome. I have two questions that kind of talk about how we relate to Jesus. Yes. And I want to give them to you together because one talks, of, well, the first one is how do I grow in my relationship with Jesus? And the other one is if Jesus knows my needs, how can I cooperate with him to have him do a miracle for me? So it's how do I grow in my relationship and how does this relationship work? <laughs> this is good. So uh -huh. <laughs> I, I, let me just give a simple answer. Uh, not simplistic, but a simple answer to how do I grow in my relationship? Spend time with him. Mm -hmm. The only way to grow in any relationship is to spend time with that person. You can fool yourself and think you're growing in a relationship if you don't spend time with them. You know, I'm reading books about relationships, uh, but I'm not spending time with my kids. Reading books about parenting, memorizing sections of those books about parenting, but I'm not spending any time with my kids. Then I'm not going to grow in that relationship. It's only by spending time with someone that you grow in that relationship. It's not by reading about them even. you got to spend time with them. And we do that through the scripture, God speaking to us, and we also do that through prayer, us speaking to him, and this sense that Jesus is there with you. But you don't have to do that just in a quiet time at the beginning of the day or the end of the day. Uh, as much as you can, you, you sense that he's with you throughout the day. So there's this 
more intense time of Jesus, I'm spending time with you. I'm reading your word. I'm drawing out of it. I'm talking to you specifically. And then there is like what I call sometimes just hang out time with Jesus. You know, I'm working on this project, but I recognize Jesus is here with me. You know, and I, I talk to him all the time about very little things. I mean, very, oh, thanks, Lord, that you did that. I mean, silly little things. Thanks that I made that green light. Now, did Jesus do a miracle and make me make that green light? No, I don't think so, but I'm sure glad I made the green light. And Jesus is in the car with me. So if I'm going to tell anybody, I'm glad I made the green light, it's going to be Jesus. Because I was, you know, I was, I was going to be late to church if I didn't make that particular light. And it was my fault that I was going to be late. So thanks that I made that green light. And I just say that under my breath all the time. You're just hanging out with Jesus. It doesn't have to always be a really serious, serious prayer. Uh, you just sense that he's with you throughout the day. The more time you spend with him, the more you're going to become like him. When you spend time with someone, you become like them. That's what happens. If you get a new friend and you spend more and more time with that friend, you're going to start picking up some of their pet phrases and you're just going to sound like them. Uh, you're going to start uh, doing some of the same things they do, you know, because you love them and you like being with them. So you, 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 you say, well, I, I, I never eat, uh, pick, pick what food. Mexican food, Japanese food, Chinese food. I never eat that. But all of a sudden, once a week, you're in a Japanese food restaurant and you're, you're learning to eat with chopsticks for the first time. Why is that happening? You've got a new friend and you're hanging out with them. And so you're taking in some of their characteristics. You know, this, this principle is so powerful that if you like, if you take a look like at a married couple, they've been married like for 60 years, they actually look exactly like each other. Have you seen this? Like these, you know, they're tottering down the street. They walk alike. They got the same hair color. They just, if they still have hair, they just look like each other. Or you have the lady who's had the same pet poodle for like 25. Well, I don't, I won't say anything about that, but that's what happens. We look like the people that we spend the most time with. And so one of the things I got to think about in life, one of the big challenges, how much time am I spending with Jesus? And if you just count your quiet time, you're probably spending more time watching TV than being with Jesus. That's pretty, that's pretty sobering to me. So what do I, do, do I have to have a three-hour quiet time if I'm going to watch a three-hour movie? Or if it's a Lord of the Rings movie, like a six-hour quiet time in order to watch the movie? What, what do I need to do? And so I'd suggest doing both of the things I just talked about, is you spend a focused amount of quiet time with him, but then more and more in your life, you have this sense of, I'm hanging out with Jesus all day long. And so guess what? When you're watching TV, it's not like, okay, I'm either hanging out with Jesus or watching TV. Guess who's there with you? This might change some TV watching habits. I, I don't know. I'm just saying. But guess who's there with you? And you just sense, even sometimes we feel like in our entertainments, Jesus isn't there. Of course he's there. Of course, he wants to have fun with us or enjoy the fact that we're having fun. And so you sense that he's there with you all the time. You don't divide your life up into time with Jesus and all these other time. It's all time with Jesus, everything that you're doing. And I'm not there yet. I mean, it's something I've been working on all my life, and I'm not there yet. So I don't know that any of us are ever going to arrive totally at this one. But the more you get there at spending time with Jesus like this, the more you're going to become like him. The Bible says that when we get to heaven, we're going to see him as he is. We're going to see him perfectly, and then we will be perfectly like him. 
So the more I see him for who he really is on this earth, the more I gradually become like him. On this earth, we see like through a glass darkly. We don't totally see who Jesus is. But the better we see, and it gets clearer and clearer as you spend time with him, the more you become like him. So that's that's like a softball question to me. You know, I've taught it for like 20 years in 201 and other places. So thank you for whoever asked that question. I, I appreciate it. I got like 30 more minutes I could do on it, but maybe we should go on to the next question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, somebody named Abhijit. I'm sorry if I didn't say that correctly, has a question about the soul. And oh, wait, so, there was a second part to that other one I didn't answer. True. Remind me, what, what was the second part? <laughs> it had to do with, um, if Jesus knows my needs, how can I cooperate with him to get a miracle in my life, basically? Like, how does that work as I relate to him? I think, I think the clearest way I could say that is... You, you do what Jesus said, if you keep my commands, uh, read John 15, you might write down John 15. And he talks about if you keep my commands, then I'll abide with you and you'll abide with me. And he talks about how he's how that's how he's going to answer prayers out of that abiding. So this all ties together, keeping his commands, abiding in Christ. And out of that relationship of abiding in Christ, there is the answer to prayers, which is miracles. I mean, that's what miracles are to me is, is him answering those prayers. So and he tells us in John 15 that his command is to love one another. John, who wrote first John, also wrote first John, and the whole book of first John is about how do you love one another? Again and again and again, he talks about you got to love one another. He keeps coming back to that. So what's his command? It's it's to love God, but it's also he says to love one another. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a there's a uh, interesting way to think about this. If I want a miracle in my life, I got to love other people. As long as I'm selfish, I'm just looking for my miracles. Guess what? I'm not keeping his command and I'm not abiding in Christ. And that's not the road to answer prayer. The road to answer prayer is actually caring more about others. The road to miracles is actually caring more about others, keeping God's commands, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I know that sounds like a trick. Wait a minute, God, you're tricking me. No, it's how we're created. It's who we're made to be. We're not made to be selfish. We're made to love others. And if I live a selfish life, the only miracles I'm going to ask for are selfish miracles. Obviously, God's not going to give me those. But if I live an unselfish life, and the miracles I'm asking for are unselfish miracles, I'm going to see miracles all the time. It's just different ways of looking at how we keep God's commands. So I'm glad I I came to that one, because that's a really important question. Great. Um, Abhijit, if I, I hope I'm saying your name correctly. Do you want to ask your question about the soul? It was such a great question. Um, sure. Can you hear me? Yes. Pastor Tom, we absolutely love you. And I'm sorry you cannot see me. I do not have a light here. But I love your teaching. And we feel, the whole church feels, how much you love us when you speak to us and you teach us. Thank oh, you. That's, thank you. It is true. I do love you. <laughs> Here's my question. Everybody has a soul, right? What happens to my soul once I am saved and receive the Holy Spirit? Do they coexist within me or is my soul replaced with the Holy Spirit? So by our time, we have three minutes left for an hour and a half question that you just asked. <laughs> 
But let me let me give you the start of an answer. Uh, in the New Testament, we're told that we have a body, a soul, and a spirit. All three. The Old Testament actually talks about us having a body and a soul. But when you get to the New Testament, uh, again and again, you know, you have like the division of soul and spirit. Uh, there's just a lot of places throughout the New Testament that it's affirmed that we have a body, a soul, and a spirit. Well, we know what our body is. It's our physical body. So what's our soul and what's our spirit? And what's the division between those two? Well, our soul is our identity. As you, as you study the word, as you study the way it's used in the Bible, it's our identity. It's who we are. And your spirit, what is your spirit then? Your spirit is the way that you connect with God. And the Bible says... It, a lot of the reason there's no spirit in the Old Testament is because uh, in the Garden of Eden, essentially man's spirit died. We lost our ability to connect with God. And it's only through the Holy Spirit coming into our lives. And you see this happening from time to time in people's lives in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And one of the reasons he does is our spirit died. Our ability to connect with God died. We need God's spirit in us to re-enliven, to re-energize our spirit. Actually, it's not our spirit anymore. It's God's spirit living in us that allows us to connect with God. And so that's, that's the, the body, the soul, and the spirit and, and who we are. So the spirit that's in us now is not a small S spirit. In one sense, it's a capital S spirit. It's the spirit of God who's living in us. So our soul then is our identity, who God made us to be. It's your emotions, it's your will, it's how you do things. And that identity obviously is gonna last forever in eternity, but so also is your body. The Bible says your body's gonna be resurrected and last forever. So there's a mistake sometimes where we think, okay, the soul's important and the body isn't, or the spirit's important and the soul isn't. All three are important to God. And actually God says, all three are a part of who we're going to be for eternity. Now, I said, you know, it's a long, because what I just said there, you guys are going, all right, okay, I need half an hour more on that. I get it. I understand. And we're going to talk about it some more when we talk about salvation and we talk about good and evil. But maybe next time we do a Q&A, we can talk about this some more, because it is such an important question. But let me just, uh, I know we're o almost over, but maybe there's a follow-up on, on one part that I could clarify more. Let me just start there. You're looking for a follow-up to what you had just said? Yeah, yeah, just I want to make sure. My favorite teaching on this is uh, by actually a good friend of Saddleback uh, before he died, Avery Willis, uh, mm -hmm. who wrote a study called Master Life and was also involved in missions all of his life. And uh, he, he was a, a mentor to a number of us. And uh, I'll, uh, Jason, I'll try to get to you something, uh, his picture of body, soul, and spirit. And I don't know, can we include it in the notes somehow for everybody? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it, it, it'll, it'll, it'll give you something to chew on, at least some more about this. It'd be great. Excellent. Yeah, we'll, we'll make sure that that gets out in one of the emails for sure. For sure. <laughs> Um, somebody did ask in relationship to your soul question, is that where sin resides? So that would be the only follow-up that I see. Well, the soul is the seat of your will. And so, yes, it is where sin resides okay. uh, in one sense. However, the Bible also uh, says we sin because of our flesh. Mm -hmm. And it talks about our flesh is talking about somehow there is some something even in our bodies not genetic, 
spiritual in our bodies that causes us to sin because we live in fallen bodies right now. Uh, we live in imperfect bodies right now. And so uh, primarily, yes, the soul, because that's the seat of the will. But again, don't, uh, our tendency is to, is to make, is to feel like the body doesn't mean anything as Christians. And you have to be really careful about that because then you don't value the body that God gave you. You don't realize what it truly means. And we didn't get to this question. Somebody asked about us being a temple of the Holy Spirit and all that means. What does it really mean for us to be holy? And we think, okay, my soul is holy, but my body isn't. Well, one day it is being made holy. And one day it is going to be perfected in heaven. So Christianity has a very high view of the body as well as the soul and the spirit. And that totally changes the way you relate to the world around you. You relate to the body that God's given you. You respect the body that God's given you. You respect other people's bodies. It, it just totally changes the way you relate to many, many things. And then somebody asked what our soul is made of then. I do not know. That is one. Okay, that's one for Jesus when I get to heaven. That's an I don't know one. Wow. Well, that was so, so, so good uh, from Pastor Tom there on the topic of Jesus. Again, we really hope that these are questions that you've wrestled with and that you have had a chance to um, hear a response from Pastor Tom. Uh, really good content, really good meat there for us and really content and things that we should know that are good for us to know that's going to help us in our own discipleship and our own faith walks. Uh, so really excited about that. Hey, if you want to get in on that, if you want to uh, learn more, if you want to be a part of this, go to saddleback.com slash foundations. There you will find all the materials you need, all the setup you'll need uh, to get in and get your hands around the foundations material. It's really, really good. Again, if you have not done it, we highly recommend you do. Next week, we're going to be back with the same format, uh, but tackling the subject of the Holy Spirit. So I'm really excited for that. That was a really, really good Q&A. So make sure you tune in for our next episode of Doable Discipleship, where we get into that. As always, we love you. We are praying for you. Again, if you have any questions, Email those in to maturity at saddleback.com. Drop us a line on a YouTube comment, wherever you're listening. Give us a shout. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know questions that you have. And as Jason said before, maybe we can answer it in an upcoming doable discipleship episode or fit that into uh, something we're doing in the future. So we love you guys and we will be back soon. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes and go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events lastly you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com send us your thoughts send us your questions your bible questions your life questions whatever who knows your question might just inspire an upcoming episode thanks again for tuning in to doable discipleship i'm jason whelan and i hope you'll join us again next week